Hi, I'm Tim Barton. And I'm Jonathan Ritchie. And we are back in the American Journey experience to dig a little bit more into history. As we talked about in the first episode, looking at Christopher Columbus, there's a lot of things used today to criticize, to condemn people that are not always historically the most accurate. And certainly when you look in a context, you realize there's more to the story. And sometimes just getting that context can change your entire perspective of that situation in that person. That's right. And so while Columbus comes and obviously discovers the new world, most of what he deals with is in Central and South America. That's where Spain and Portugal really kind of establish their colonial empires. But obviously for us, in America, and we're in North America. And it's interesting to look at some of the original colonies that are planted in North America that are kind of the seedbeds for what would eventually become the United States as we know it today. And like you mentioned, there's, just like with Columbus, there's a lot of things that are being said today that are just entirely not true. And so in order to kind of fight back against that, we have to learn what the actual truth is by going back to the original sources. Yeah, so we're going to get into some of the history of Jamestown today. I unfold some of that story again, looking with original documents to see what all is there. And Jonathan, it's, it's worth noting historically, this is a big deal that in 1492, when Columbus discovers this new world, so to speak, it, he doesn't really know it's a new world yet, but it's something that he goes back and starts writing about these new islands and new lands. You, Western Europeans are beginning to learn that there's something else there, and yet, like the Jamestown Town Colony, but what is famous today was founded in 1607. So why in the world was it more than a hundred years after Columbus discovers this new world until we actually have these English settlements coming to America? It's really interesting in response to that question to look at what some earlier historians said. This is a volume about the Christian life and character of kind of the United States. It's by a gentleman named Benjamin Franklin Morris. And he actually explicitly addresses this question in a, in a very thoughtful way. And he says, talking about why there was this gap of over 100 years between Columbus and the Spanish kind of starting their colonial enterprise in Central and South America, and then the English and people starting to colonize North America, he says that God held this vast land in reserve as the great field on which the experiment was to be made in favor of civil and religious liberty. He suffered not the foot of the Spaniard or Portuguese or Frenchman or Englishman to come upon it until the changes had been wrought in Europe which would make it certain that it would always be a land of religious freedom. And it's a very interesting thought that he proposes because he's talking about more or less the Reformation that starts happening kind of right before Columbus sails and continues on for those, you know, 200 years to really kind of change the religious and moral character of Europe. And this is where it moved from a very government-heavy, government-centric, state-run church to where there was a lot more freedom. It was a move to get back to the Bible. It's really what the Reformation was, yeah. where you had Catholic priests and monks saying, hey guys, maybe we should just do what the Bible says. It's maybe a little different than what we're doing in some of these nations. And so when, when B.F. Morris points out that God maybe held America, preserved her until the Reformation happens. And then it's interesting when you look at and see the people primarily who are moving to North America over the next 100, 200 years, it is people largely escaping religious persecution, seeking religious freedom. And so when you look at the early colonies in America, by and large, almost everyone without exception was founded on religious grounds 
for religious reasons. In fact, Jamestown, founded in 1607, even founded with religious intention as part of their founding charter. Uh, and this was actually part of the conversation in England before the official Jamestown colony is settled and developed. The idea was that there was going to be this religious colony where people could go and it was going to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jamestown, although they certainly derailed some places along the way, yeah. the founding intent was certainly for a religious free, a religious toleration perspective of a colony. Absolutely. You can even look at in the late 1500s when a gentleman by the name of Richard Hacklett makes his proposal to the Queen of England for beginning this colonial endeavor. One of the biggest things he says is we need to provide a place where people can go from wherever they're being oppressed in Europe and enjoy religious and civil liberty on a wider scale, right? Obviously, we might look back and say, well, they should have done more. They should have expanded it further. But for the time, in the context mm -hmm. of that, you know, world civilization, it's a step in the right direction right. where they're expanding freedom to more people in a more meaningful way than had ever been done. And that's actually the whole idea behind uh, and what leads to the colonization of Jamestown and obviously later Plymouth a few years mm -hmm. later. And this is where looking historically, anytime someone takes a step in the right direction, it should be noted they're going the right direction. <laughs> even if they didn't go as far as they should, as you allude to. But if you go to Jamestown, 1607 is when Jamestown is officially founded. And one of the noted leaders from Jamestown was Captain John Smith. And Captain John Smith, early on in Jamestown, as the story begins to unfold, Captain John Smith is with an exploring party and they're gonna go explore this land they really don't know to this point. There was reportedly a party of 20 men and these 20 men were attacked by a group of natives and 19 of the men died. Captain John Smith was the only one that survived. And this is according to his own writings and records, which we have one of the volumes of his history books right here. But he actually reports for himself that they took him from village to village, kind of displaying him almost as a trophy, a war trophy that they just captured this leader of this band of 20 people in the woods. And they took him from place to place until finally they went back to the chief's village. And he explained at that point that they laid his head on a rock and they took up a club to beat his brains out. This is a lithograph. And there's actually a lot of famous paintings, a lot of famous lithographs that actually show part of the story. Well, what you can see over here, and, and, and you can see on a couple of these, the clothes they're wearing have been filled in with different colors. Well, this is Captain John Smith who's laying down. You can see the native has a club raised up. Well, that doesn't look like a 10-year-old girl, but Pocahontas was a 10-year-old girl at the time. And she ran over and John Smith said that she laid her head on his and saved his life. At this point, her father, who was a chief, she begins negotiating, pleading with her father, please don't kill this man. And the father decides that, okay, right, for apparently his daughter's sake, we will let John Smith live. They end up making some kind of treaty friendship with John Smith, but she didn't really understand. He said they turned him loose and he was going to go back to his village. But the whole time he feared that he was going to be chased down and executed, killed on his way back to the village. But what's significant is the introduction of Pocahontas. Pocahontas became someone that many people of Jamestown acknowledged was a saving force for them along the way because there were times, even this first year, when the people of Jamestown that winter were running low on food and the natives actually sent help along the way, sent food to help take care of the people of Jamestown. And Pocahontas was actually part of the delegation bringing them food as, again, she's only nine or 10 years old at this point, but she's one of the apparently leaders of the tribe helping save the people of Jamestown. 
Yeah, that's right. And that's a very big kind of idea behind these initial years when Jamestown is getting founded, right? Obviously, the people who go there, they've never been colonists before. They've never gone to the New World, by and large, before. And so they have a lot of struggles, a lot of hardships. They're not necessarily equipped for it. But due to this kind of almost miraculous story of John Smith and Pocahontas, the relations with the natives, while maybe not didn't got to the best of starts, starts to develop and they start kind of establishing this uh, treaty system where they're being able to, to get some of this provision that they're not able to provide for themselves, which is very important because they aren't doing a very good job of providing for themselves while they're trying mm -hmm. to learn how to navigate this new world. And this is where it's also interesting that John Smith in this scenario, right, providentially we would say, this Pocahontas encounter, this is super bizarre except a really cool story historically. When you look at John Smith, the fact that he lived and survived, he ends up becoming the governor of Jamestown. And the relationship with the people of Jamestown and the Native Americans was pretty good for a little while. Governor Smith then, right, he'd been Captain Smith, now he's Governor Smith. He enforces a law because apparently many of the people who were there were kind of lazy. Also, as a side note, that, that first year, I think it was like two-thirds of their people starved that first year, died the first year. Uh, they had a hard time just with the environment, as you're mentioning. But Governor Smith identified one of the problems was that there were people who were not working and being productive. So Governor Smith says, we're having a new, a new law, we're having a new rule, and the new rule is if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, it's actually based on a Bible verse, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. But the idea was we're not doing free handouts for everybody here. We, we all have to work or we won't survive. That fall was 1609 at this point, And that fall, maybe around September uh, is what we can identify from the records. There was an accident that apparently removed Governor Smith from his leadership role. It was a big explosion of gunpowder, right? And obviously back in that time, gunpowder is a lot more volatile than it is now. I mean, if you even so much as a spark in the general direction, it could combust and be, you know, obviously not very good. But there were a lot of people who thought that this was an intentional attack against John Smith to get him out of the way because he was so, you know, forceful in making sure these people who colonized Jamestown actually were doing the work. I mean, he was a hard arm of the law, making sure that it's actually going to survive, that they were treating the Indians well, and that they were working themselves in order so that they could survive. So this explosion happens, accident or intentional, and John Smith has to go back to England in order to recuperate, and so Jamestown is left more or less without a leader. So when Governor Smith is now heading back to England to recover, they have lost the leader that kind of kept them in check. It's one of the things we talked about with the story of Columbus. Columbus was kind of a moral compass on some level for those early Spanish islands. Certainly where a moderating influence against some of their inclinations to maybe enslave the natives and steal from them and things like that. Columbus moderated them in a similar extent. James Smith moderated some of the desires of the Virginia colonists, right? And it's very evident because once Smith is now gone, when you see how Jamestown really kind of falls apart on some level, where initially because the Native Americans had helped bail them out previously, they went back to Native Americans and said, hey, can, can you offer us food? Can, can you help take care of us? And apparently they were asking for so much, the Native Americans finally were like, that, that's too much, we, we, we can't give you all that, we have to feed ourselves at winter. 
and it actually led to some physical conflict where apparently one of the, the native uh, tribes or camps, they actually relocated camp to get further away from the people of Jamestown. This leads into historically what is known as the starving time in Jamestown. The winter of 1609, there were approximately 500 people in Jamestown, and at the end of the winter, they're down to around 60 people that is wow. left. And not only was this brutal because they're starving, but kind of what happened along the way really does depict maybe why they needed Governor Smith back, but also just kind of the moral depravity they embraced because as the story unfolds, which actually part of it is in Smith's history book, we can re uh, read a couple lines in a second, but as Smith explains the story, first they ate all of the, the livestock. So they ate all of what would be the cows or the horses, and then they're out of that meat. So then they turned to the smaller animals, the dogs and the cats and maybe the rats or the rabbits, whatever they could catch. And when they run out of that, they're then really struggling. So they actually took some leather clothes, then leather being made from animal, they actually put that in stew and they tried to make stew cooking some of their leather shoes or leather clothes. And when that didn't work, it occurred to somebody that we've already had people dying and we pretty much on a daily basis, people were dying and we've been burying them in the cemetery. Why don't we just go to the cemetery and let's dig up those bodies and we'll just eat the meat off those bodies. And this is where you see just what they, now obviously when you're in desperate times, like I, we've not been in that scenario. I, I can't imagine how we would feel, what we would think, but it's just interesting to see the hardship yeah. they went through. But here's where you know it was more than just desperate times because Governor Smith identified they didn't just eat the bodies of people who had died. They actually, on occasion, turned on each other and killed each other to eat each other, yeah. which is part of what he identified. What he identifies in his history book, Smith notes that in one instance, and one amongst the rest did kill his wife, powdered her, and had eaten a part of her before it was known, for which he was executed as he well deserved. And obviously that's in the midst of it, but that's kind of what stands out to Smith and the rest is like the pinnacle of depravity that they've reached in this situation where because Smith is not there to keep them in check, to keep them working, they've alienated the allied native tribes that had been helping them. They just don't have anything left to fall back on. Well, and here's where I think, again, studying original documents becomes very interesting because today there's a lot of criticism against Jamestown, which part of the 1619 project, we'll get to that in a minute, but if you just read the story of Jamestown, it's very easy to go, you know, these people had some major issues along the way, uh, not the least of which, right, starving time. At the end of the starving time, we mentioned that they've, they've really made enemies out of native tribes that they were friendly with on some level. And so now some of these native tribes began raids against the people of Jamestown. The people of Jamestown are raiding these native tribes. So now that you kind of have this conflict, this war going back and forth, it builds up in tension so much that there were some people of Jamestown who were captured, who were prisoners of war in these native camps. And the governor, and this has been a couple years, the governor decides we need to figure out a way to get our people back and they realize Pocahontas, although we haven't really heard from her historically for a couple of years in the context of the story, Pocahontas apparently still had a soft spot in her heart for the people of Jamestown. There was still some level of communication. The governor says, hey, we need to get Pocahontas to come visit us and actually got a local chief that they still had some level of contact with said, hey, I will pay you if you will get Pocahontas here. And he explained, we're going to actually keep Pocahontas, we're gonna hold her as prisoner, we're gonna use her as a prisoner of war exchange so that we can get our people back, we can get our goods back, we can negotiate an end to some of this conflict. And this chief, now, back then there were a lot of different tribes. The tribes definitely did not all get along with each other. So it's not surprising that there might be a chief who would say, oh, I'll totally go kidnap or help you kidnap this other chief's daughter. 
Nonetheless, the people of Jamestown actually paid and kidnapped Pocahontas. Wow. Right? So in, in the midst of this story of like how bad were the people of Jamestown? Pretty bad in a lot of situations. They used Pocahontas as collateral, as leverage, were able to negotiate to help get their people back. In the midst of this, this is also when John Smith is now more or less recovered uh, and as kind of a, an outdoorsman at heart decides he wants to come back, but he comes back in this time as more or less an explorer. So as the scenario with Pocahontas is unfolding, 1614, John Smith comes back, but this time they decide they're going to explore more of the northern areas. They actually, John Smith is the one who labeled it New England on the map that he had gone and navigated. He mapped it out and he called New England the actual area. It was the new part of England where the pilgrims ended up going. And, and the reason the pilgrims even knew that was because of John Smith. So all this is unfolding kind of at the same time. But in the midst of this, the individual put in charge of Pocahontas was actually a religious leader. And he says, well, let me just, I'll teach you how to read. We'll use the Bible. So in the U.S. Capitol building, there's actually a massive painting that depicts the baptism of Pocahontas. And, and in this moment, she actually converts, becomes an Anglican, becomes a Christian, uh, changes her name to Rebecca. She became known as the Princess Rebecca. And during this time, as John Smith is exploring the Northern Territory, it's interesting that in some really bad moments, there was some really good things coming out of this. Although again, you can definitely say Jamestown had some major issues even up to this point. That's right. In looking at how, despite the shortcomings of Jamestown, positive things start happening. You can even look going up to 1619, where the first legislative body in the New World meets in Jamestown. It's the beginning of kind of the Virginia House of Representatives. They had a different name for it back then, but you start seeing some of these seeds of American ideas that you know the British had hoped to found and obviously Jamestown had been somewhat unsuccessful in that in the early years due to their shortcomings and failures but you can see this positive change also kind of being growing alongside some of the negative stuff that's happening too. So this is just getting us up to 1619. That's right. So we just mentioned the year 1619, which is when Jamestown has its first kind of representative assembly in Virginia. It's a very major moment. But in recent years, 1619 has been highlighted as kind of the beginning year of America for a different reason entirely, because in 1619, that's where a pirateer ship docks at Jamestown and unloads what people claim, right? The 1619 Project, specifically by the New York Times, claims as the first African-American people to land in North America as slaves. Now, let's also, let's pause for a second, because obviously in they're doing research, the African slave trade, the North Atlantic slave trade, started in like 1500. Yes. So the slave trade was going a long time before 1619, and we've already identified that there were Spanish colonies in Central and South America, but there also were Spanish colonies like in Florida, that there were French colonies up in, in the Canada region. So even in proper North America, there were already Spanish and French colonies, and the Spanish and French both participated pretty actively in the slave trade. That's right, and actually the whole idea behind the 1619 project is just completely historically false because like you mentioned, there were already African slaves in what later became continental United States prior to 1619. So you can go back to even uh, 1526 when the Spanish had a failed colony along the coast of the Carolinas. They brought African slaves with them there. Obviously that colony fails and it doesn't you know, remain established there. But then you have 
the founding of St. Augustine in Florida mm -hmm. in 1565. They, the Spanish again, bring African slaves, and that is actually the oldest continually occupied settlement, uh, colonial settlement in North America, and that's you know well before 1619. And actually, talking about pre-1619 slavery in what would become America, we have a document mm -hmm. right here. This is actually from 1610. It's a powers of trade document from the Spanish governor of Cuba, empowering a trader to trade in slaves, jewels, and precious metals with the St. Augustine colony in Florida. So this right here is a physical mm -hmm. document, primary source, disproving a lot of what the 1619 project by the New York Times is claiming and really kind of blowing up that notion that, you know, America and all the evils of what America is began with the Jamestown colony. Yeah, and this is where part of, part of the narrative today is that America created slavery. Uh, America was built on slavery. America fought a revolution to keep the institution of slavery. There's a lot of accusations that surround this. And as mentioning, there's a lot of them historically. It's not that America didn't participate in the slave trade or in slavery. It's just that the way the story is being told is not historically accurate given the context or in this case even original documents but even looking at the 1619 project one of the things that we hear so often was that when the ship arrived that this is where right slavery first entered america but even the context of this is different because at that point chattel slavery wasn't legal in america at the time so they didn't sell slaves they sold them as indentured servants which is a distinction with a significant difference yeah at the time of the jamestown colony there were no laws enabling perpetual chattel slavery in Jamestown. And in fact, it's a concept kind of entirely foreign to the British legal code at that time. It's actually an importation of Spanish code and some other foreign influences later on down the line in the mid 1600s that begins what we are more familiar with when looking at slavery in America. But in 1619, you're exactly right. They're integrated into the Jamestown colony as indentured servants with the same legal standing as white indentured servants would have. And basically that means they would work for a set period of time and after that time they would be freed and oftentimes given land, given property, mm -hmm. given clothes, basically set up to start their own life as freemen in the colony. And so these original Africans brought to Jamestown in 1619 are integrated as indentured servants in the colony. Which it's also interesting that one of the individuals really credited with kind of the beginning of chattel slavery in America, at least from a legal standpoint, is actually believed to have potentially been one of those initial indentured servants or initial slaves in 1619 that came to Jamestown, Anthony Johnson. That's right. His story, like you mentioned, begins, people think, on that boat in 1619. He comes off as presumably is sold as an indentured servant, works his time, gains his freedom, becomes a landowner, and then starts purchasing indentured contracts himself and eventually uh, has black indentured servants, white indentured servants working for him in Virginia, builds an estate of over 250 acres, and then in a civil suit, he actually wins the perpetual ownership of another black man in the 1650s. And this is a very seminal moment because it's the first time that we've been able to identify in the history of America that somebody is made a perpetual lifetime slave not for having committed a crime. It's in a civil suit. So it's a very interesting and significant shift made even more interesting by the fact that it was a 
black man suing for perpetual ownership of another black man in yeah. Virginia. And that was Anthony Johnson suing mm -hmm. uh, to own more or less John Kaster, to, to own the rights of his labor and livelihood and whatever else. And so this is where it's just interesting as the story unfolds. So often today we hear that America's evil because of Jamestown. We hear the people of Jamestown were so evil because of slavery in 1619. And like, if you just did an honest look at Jamestown, you'd be like, those people had a lot of issues. Like maybe they were evil, like when the husband killed and ate his wife, really, really evil. There's a lot of things you could point to and say Jamestown was really bad for X, Y, or Z. But the fact that now we are literally rewriting history to show that somebody is bad, when if you just told the honest story, you'd yeah. realize like these people have a lot of issues, but you don't need to lie about it to promote an agenda. And unfortunately today, there is a lot of lying to promote agendas. Uh, one of the things that we actually have in our collection, we have multiple different swords that were actually part of the North Atlantic or the African slave trade, where Africans would use weapons like this and actually maybe literally these at some point to capture other Africans to sell to the slave traders, whether it be the Portuguese, the Dutch, the Muslims, the Spanish, whoever it was. This was something that certainly was an evil around the world. And when today people say, well, America is evil because of this, America certainly participated in some really bad and evil things, but America was not the originator or instigator of this moment of what is portrayed today in the 1619 Project. That's right. And it always reminds me of the Bible verse, right, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why we mentioned uh, during the last episode, historically, it's always interesting to look at and note, okay, where is the ball being moved down the field? Where is the progress being made? And even in these times and stories where, right, it's very clear history is filled with humans making very mm. human errors that still on the shores of North America in the 1600s, a change is happening in the world where these ideas of civil and religious liberty are first being planted in the new world. Yeah, and, and there's so much more to the story. We've just barely hit the surface of the story of Jamestown. In fact, we have dozens more artifacts, some really cool ones that I would love to show you one day. Maybe just come visit us in the collection, see these artifacts. But the American story certainly will have more details as well, all heavily footnoted. The reality is America's not a perfect nation, but she's not guilty of most of the sins she's being accused of today. But to know what's true, we have to actually study the original documents. I'm Tim Barton. And I'm Jonathan Ritchie. And we'll see you next time on The American Story.